All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so as I was saying, yeah, Galatians 3.27 says that those who have been baptized into Christ uh, have put on Christ. And so uh, it, it is that imagery of like literally putting on Christ as if we put on our clothes and our shoes. So uh, let me ask you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus, show sure look good on you. <laughs> As Chris said, man, I, I just want to remind you uh, that preaching for me is a dialogical exchange. Uh, so you are more than welcome to say amen and stand to your feet and be with me this morning. Amen. Right? But I want to talk to you this morning from uh, the title, Jesus in the Midst of It All. Jesus in the midst of it all. Uh, John 20 uh, uh, gives the story of the disciples, and they had witnessed something absolutely horrific. Uh, having followed Jesus for uh, some time now, they had just witnessed Jesus uh, being crucified on the cross. They saw him um, die on that cross uh, and be buried in a grave. And at this particular point, uh, there were some rumors starting to circulate to the reality that Jesus was alive. Uh, but these brothers, of course, were very skeptical to this point uh, of that fact. And so it says that they gathered in one of the brothers' homes and they closed and locked the door. But something amazing happened in that instance because the text goes on and tells us uh, that through that locked door, Jesus shows up and stands in their midst. Uh, I love how our confession talks about Jesus as one of the proof texts for this passage. It, it says that, uh, it says this, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, the judge of the world unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. It's this Jesus this morning who stands in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning that even when life may be hurting, you are yet still with us in the midst of it all. You are with us even when we feel undeserving, and you are with us even when we are afraid and ashamed. And we know that you are so gracious to hear us when we call on you. Would you, by the power of your spirit, Lord, speak to us through your word? Would you use me to preach your word with boldness and clarity, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 4, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 down to verse 30, Luke 4, verse 14 down to verse 30.
And the text reads, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it, has, it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Assyrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and broke him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they, they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And this is God's word. We're looking this morning, of course, at Luke's gospel. Uh, the gospels, of course, are works that we, for the most part, consider to have been uh, written anonymously. Uh, but one of the reasons that we don't consider this to be such of a big deal is because uh, the original audiences would have been very familiar with whom these works came from. Uh, so the Gospels were written uh, with uh, it, much intent. Uh, they were written uh, intimately and often to very specific people. Uh, Luke's Gospel, though, is a really great example of this because it was written as the first in a series of books. Uh, long before the Harry Potter or the Hunger Games, uh, Luke was writing a collection of books that shape us in some really unique ways. Uh, you, Luke, though, is also a physician, and this, of course, shapes the, the way that he writes, but he's also one of the Apostle Paul's homeboys. Uh, so he has this heavy emphasis on the gospel as well. The Gospels, though, when we look at them collectively, are a story that only the author and finisher of life could write. And Luke writes to reflect this reality. Uh, he writes even from the very first verse, wanting us to know that he is recording historical truth. Uh, this is the distinct narrative of the person and work of Jesus. 
Look then with me at verse 14. Verse 14 reads, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So Jesus has had this wilderness experience, and he returns to begin uh, this work of ministry, and he's headed now uh, to his hometown. The text tale says, though, uh, that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Uh, so just as a heads up, uh, ministry without an active work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely futile. Yet Jesus reveals in Matthew 7:22 that even yet still, that's the reality for some people. Know, though, that Jesus in John 14 in his high priestly prayer prays that we would have the same spirit. In, in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus in his ascension says that we are to be empowered by that same spirit. It says, though, that there is a report about him that is going out. And so people know that Jesus is coming. And so long before anybody was TikTok famous or popping on the gram, Jesus was a cultural influencer. And for Jesus to have this kind of recognition, though, meant that people had to be talking about him. And so let me ask you this morning, are you talking about Jesus? Do your friends and your family know that Jesus is yet to come? Verse 15 says, though, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus shows up back in his hometown, and he, he starts preaching in the synagogues around the city, and the people's response, the text says, that Jesus was being glorified by all. I, I love how Peterson puts it in the message. He says this, that he taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. And I love this because Jesus has this incredible way of flipping things upside down. And so he teaches stuff like how the first will be last. And so Jesus is doing this preaching and everybody is coming up to him after service telling him how beautiful this was, much in the same way that we do today. And I can assure you that one thing has not changed. That as long as you are telling people exactly what they want to hear, you will grow in acclaim and pleasure. Verse 16 says, though, that he claimed to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Luke is moving from this broader experience of Jesus to the really specific. Luke in his writing is super intentional about the details. So know that he's writing about Jesus returning to his hometown because he wants us to reflect on Jesus's humanity. See, Jesus, like you and I, is connected to specific time and place. He, he had people from the neighborhood who watched him grow up. Uh, he had people who watched him play with their kids. And the next part of the verse, though, says that Jesus has this customary practice of entering the city and teaching in their synagogues. And I want you to see something that may not be obvious, though. Uh, Presbyterian pastor Robert Brawley explains it like this. He says the rhetorical strategy of Luke Acts 
is to empower audiences to enact the story of Jesus and his followers in their life together. In other words, the impending transformation proclaimed in Luke-Acts occurs not only within the narrative world of the text, but also in the social world as individuals and communities perform the vision of life set forth. Hence, Luke-Acts is not interested in critiquing imperial ideology, but rather in inspiring audiences to adapt life-giving values and practices that are set in contrast to the imperial way of life. So what does this mean? Uh, if we're talking about Jesus and Luke's gospel, or we're talking about the early church in the book of Acts, one thing is true for both. The church has, from its inception, not just stood on the sidelines and critiqued the wrongs of culture, but understood that the best way to bring about the change that we need is to engage ourselves in the systems and structures of our communities to bear gospel witness to the change that we so desperately need. So if you know that our education system is deeply flawed, let me encourage you to stand in our classrooms and teach or to lead from administrative offices. If you recognize that our healthcare system has deep disparities, let me encourage you to mobilize ways to care for those in need. And if you are Jesus and your desire is to transform the hearts and minds of men, to reconcile them back to God, you proclaim the good news of the free gift of salvation in the synagogues of his day. So in verses 17 through 21, we read, Jesus quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news uh, to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is going through the routine. He not disturbing their practice. Rather, Jesus is using their practice to reveal himself. Isaiah, who wrote this text of 700 years before Jesus, is giving us what we would describe of one of four servant songs. It seeks to reflect that God is at work to draw men to himself through the one who would come, this true Messiah. Yet the reality is that this Messiah doesn't quite come in the way we'd expect. Uh, the text talks about him as, as not being the most attractive. Uh, he's not wealthy and affluent in the way that we'd expect either. But yet, it's through this servant's suffering and his atoning sacrifice for us that we might have the very wrath of God turned away from us. And Jesus seeks, in quoting this text, clearly wants to identify himself as the one who fulfills the longings of God's people. I don't know what it is then that God has promised you this morning, but I can assure you that God is faithful to his promises. I don't know how it might seem that the season might have passed or how things have, might have changed for you, but the God who has begun a good work in you is faithful to bring it about to completion. Norman Geisler adds that the concept of Messiah, which is the Christ, 
is the key to the interpretation of the Bible. And so not only in that is Christ the fulfillment of the Old Testament types and prophecies, but in that Christ, who is the Messiah, is the tie between the Testaments, that the content of the whole canon and the unifying theme of the Bible. So in short, the entire Bible is Messiah-centric or Christocentric which is why we can sing songs like Beloved Brethren, God's anointed is appointed, and we shall not be disappointed. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Look, though, at verse 22, because I want you to see this. It, it, It says, It says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Notice, though, that there's a change that takes place in the way that they respond. Saying, "Mm, ain't this Joseph, boy? (laughs) This is crazy, right? It's like trying to, to put Jesus in his place. So as long as Jesus spoke eloquently and was super positive, they were with it. But as soon as he reveals himself as the Christ from the very word of God, they're like, oh, this dude ain't right. It's this dramatic turnaround, and and they go from this initial favor of Jesus to this, we got to get this man out of here. And if I can, let me just help some of us. And let you know that no matter how much the gospel has changed you, to some people, all you are ever going to be is what you used to be. So just pray for them and keep moving. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So trust his word and move on. I love Jesus' response in verse 23 and 24. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Uh, uh, my, 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 my friend uh, John Bourgeois, campus minister at Wake, while we were at GA, he told me uh, something that our friends in the legal profession quote often. He says this, that a lawyer who chooses to defend himself has a fool for a client. That's the same absurdity that Jesus is reflecting upon in this text. Jesus says, look, y'all, I already know what you're going to say. I know you're probably thinking that this has to be a strange way for Jesus to respond, but the reality is, even for us, this is how so many of us respond to Jesus. We stand around like, it's okay, okay, show me, God, what you got. Like, he has something to prove to us. Is this who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus really about just entertaining you and fulfilling your desires? Or is he the sovereign Lord of all? Is he the creator and sustainer of all things? Is he your greatest joy? Is to be 
and his presence the great delight of your life? Is he and he alone the fulfillment of all that you hope and long for? Jesus goes on to respond in telling them that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And while he's clearly referencing himself, uh, he's also reminding them of this particular pattern in Scripture that they would have readily recognized. Uh, he talks about in Matthew 21, he tells uh, this story that we call the parable of the tenants. It's about uh, this man who owns a vineyard. He decides to, to rent out some of the property in the vineyard. And so he decides to send some of his servants back to the vineyard to get some of the fruit. And the tenants who live there decide, hey, we're going to jack these dudes up and kill them. And so the man who owns the vineyard decides to send another group of men, and they do the same thing. They jack those dudes up, they kill them too. And so he says, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to send my son. And surely, surely they'll get it at this point. And what is their response? They jack him up. They kill the son. And there's this religious dudes, they're standing around listening to Jesus talk, and they recognize, man, this dude talk about me. And the text says that in that instance, they, they begin to conspire how to have Jesus locked up. In verse 25 through 27, we read, But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Notice that Jesus grounds his response to them by reflecting back to the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And I know it might be difficult for some of us to, to connect those ideas, so let me help us. Uh, one of the really unique distinctions of the ministry of both Elijah and Elisha is that um, from the rejection among their own people, which is the hometown folk, we see God at work among the Gentiles. And I don't want to belabor this point too long, but this is a reminder that to us that God has always been compassionate about all people. And Jesus is the embodiment of his saving grace for all humanity. So finally, then in verses 28 through 30, we see that when they heard these things, all in the synagogues were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So look, fam, these same people that we saw earlier in verse 22 that were praising him are now the same people who are mad at him. Jesus isn't putting on that same show that he put on at Capernaum, they thought. No, rather, Jesus is speaking directly to the wickedness of people's hearts. And they, 
They weren't interested in the redemption to be found in Jesus. No, they simply wanted the goods. The text tells us, though, that not only did they want Jesus out, but they forced him out of the town to the edge of the cliff. But the text says, passing through their midst, he went away. I want to just close this morning by just asking if anybody knows what it's like to have life force you to the edge only to have Jesus passing through your midst. I don't know about you, but if I could just tell you my testimony in summary, and I'd, I'd, I'd just have to say that in the middle of my mess, on the edge of the cliff of sin, Jesus showed up and passed in the midst. See, it's in the midst that I came to know that Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life, and yet on the cross, he bore the sins of humanity. And on the cross, Jesus died and was buried, and after three days, he was raised in victory, conquering death, hell, and the grave. But the story continues, saying that Jesus is yet then to return for us. Jesus is promised to return, promising to bring about true justice and vindication. So will you be ready? Jesus is passing through our midst, and he makes freely available his salvation through us. So whatever you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through our midst. If it is healing that you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through our midst. And if it's mercy that you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through our midst. And if it is his provision that you need this morning, know that Jesus is passing through. Well, better yet, I can say it a bit poetically by saying that I've come through many hard trials, through temptations on every hand, through Satan's try to stop me and to place my feet on sinking sand, through the pain and all my sorrows, through the tears and all my fears. The Lord was there to keep me, for he's kept me in the midst of it is all, of it all, not because I've been so faithful and not because I've always obeyed or not even because I have always trusted him. But it's because he has loved me so dearly. He was there to answer my calls. He was there to protect me, but he's kept me in the midst of it all. Redeemer, the rest of that song goes on to talk about uh, how he's never left me and he's never let me fall. And oh, yes, he will also protect you because he's kept us all in the midst of it all.